0: What time is it there?
1: Uh, It's 7 p.m. What time is it there?
0: It's 11 a.m.
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) That's funny.
0: It's so dark. Does it get dark there at 7 p.m.? I guess it's winter. Yeah,
1: It's winter, yeah. So we also have that, like, uh, the time goes back an hour. So usually at 5, the sun goes down. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, we have that too, the daylight savings thing.
1: Yeah, exactly, so. So yeah, it's pretty dark. Uh, yeah, in this room I just have the lamp. We have no like light up on the ceiling.
0: So, <laughs> no, nah, it's working. It's working. It's all good. Cool. Um, awesome. I'm just grab a pen. So, how should I introduce you?
1: Um, I don't know. I guess just <laughs> this is John. <laughs> um, maybe some of the things that I do. I guess. Um, so. Well, right now I'm a PhD student and then I'm also uh, coaching Muay Thai at High Bursa Academy. I do mm-hmm. you want me to spell that out. i in Kingston, so I'm uh, coaching in Kingston and
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to university at Queen's University, which is also in Kingston. PhD student in uh, sociocultural studies. Cool. What, yeah.
0: So what is your PhD in? Like, what is the subject?
1: So the program is kinesiology and health studies, uh, but there's a sub-discipline which I'm in, which is sociocultural studies. So it's kind of like social relations and sports, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. For me anyway, because my, I mean, like sociocultural studies is a big stream, but for me I'm in combat sports. So, yeah.
0: So you're focusing on social relations in combat sports? Yeah. Cool. I'm so excited to hear about it. How far are you yeah. in?
1: Uh, so I'm not, in, so I finished, so my master's already focused on like motivations in combat sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now uh, I didn't really start my research yet. I'm kind of in like, just like figuring out the idea of what I want to research. Mm-hmm. So it's more, more around like uh, racial, so people of color in combat sports, like how what their experiences are like, because I don't mm-hmm. see much of that in the literature. <laughs> so yeah, trying to figure out how to incorporate that and uh, yeah, just kind of investigate that topic.
0: Cool, amazing! I love it. How do I pronounce your surname, Datus?
1: Uh, They Datus. They yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: I'm gonna write it phonetically. Datus. Cool. So you're not doctor yet. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Awesome. All right. Um. So I'm going to introduce you as a Muay Thai coach and PhD student looking at social relations in combat sport with a particular focus on people in or people of colour. Anything else? Or we get into Uh, more of it. That's already a pretty big title. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, enough.
0: (laughs) All right, so I'll leave a little bit of dead time on the... The recording or whatever just in case there's any static I can't hear any but sometimes it comes through once it's been recorded so I can edit that out and
1: okay. then
0: I'll start introducing you to the Fightback podcast
1: okay cool Come.
0: Cool. all right everybody welcome to the Fightback podcast I'm here with John de Deuce and I'm pronouncing that right yes yeah Amazing. Everyone, John is a Muay Thai coach and a PhD student focusing on the social issues around combat sports, particularly looking at people of color. So, welcome to the show, John.
1: Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for can the introduction. You do,
0: can you do a better introduction than I just did? What is your relationship to Muay Thai and combat sports?
1: Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, so I guess it started. Um, when I was around 18, mm-hmm. so if I'm thinking about when I started training, I wanted to quit smoking cigarettes. <laughs> that was one reason. So that was a motivation. And the other was uh, just moving to a new country because I moved from Dubai to Canada. I emigrated with my family and uh, just, I guess, had like, this culture shock and uh, I guess being new. So I kind of felt a little bit lonely. So I had more time on my hands and I was like, okay, let me train a little bit more. Start training at a just a regular weightlifting gym and then it was uh, getting boring and then I also wanted to quit smoking like I said so Mm -hmm. when me and my family moved I found an MMA gym next to our place so I was like well let me join it and yeah I got hooked I tried I think it was the first class was a boxing class and uh, I couldn't skip rope for five minutes I started seeing like red spots everywhere and I had to stop and I was like wow I'm 18 and I can't skip rope for five minutes so that scared me basically and I Basically quit cold turkey um, and just started training a lot. That was kind of like my um, substitute for smoking. So it was as motivating for me to do that. So from there, I went on to university and uh, I started studying uh, sociology and started incorporating what I do outside. So combat sports into my research topic. Um, And yeah.
0: So I've asked a lot of people why they think people say martial arts or what you know Muay Thai or whatever it is saved them, saved you from lung cancer, obviously. <laughs> Hopefully, touch wood. Uh, why else do you think that is that people are so drawn to combat sports as a way to, you know, save them from things or escape from things?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a good question. So that was like one of the main things I was looking at in my masters. Um especially after i I got a big concussion and it lasted for a while, so initially my research project was on something completely different and then I was wondering I'm like why do I keep fighting like why am I so like interested in this um and I wondered why everyone else despite like the possibility that they could sustain injury, especially if they're competing mainly I was looking at like spiders and so just exploring people's different um sorry that's my my cat opened the door <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um We're just like trying to figure out why are people motivated? So I was not only interviewing like fighters, but I was interviewing interviewing fighters, but wondering why they compete. Um, And so many different motivations came up. There was like so much, so I had to narrow it down. Um, And the two main motivations I found that kept people, that made people keep coming back to the sport um, was community, the sense of community they felt in combat sports, specifically the relationship they built like with, their training partners after day in and day out. Um, not yeah, just training with them basically. And just, I guess that type of physical, um, I guess activity, it's hard to explain. So some people talked about how they felt like they could show their weakness in the gym, especially for guys. And usually that doesn't come up, you know, in other contexts, like a guy showing their weaknesses, you know, it's kind of like found upon <laughs> for guys. So, um, they felt like the sense of like community bond with the other guys in the gym, you know, they felt more, one of my participants said authentic. He feels more authentic in the gym. Like he could show his true colors in a way. Um, so yeah, that was one main motivation. The other one was social pressure. So that was, uh, yeah, the two was community and social pressure. So you can see kind of how they kind of play together, right? Like you, you're part of this community, but at the same time, like it's, you feel a little bit pressured in some aspects of it. Um, whether it 's maybe subtle hints from coaches that oh like you know do you want to uh, go for a fight when you feel like you 're not completely ready um, but then one of my participants put a different spin on it. he was like well for me i don 't see it as pressure from people it 's more of motivation I find it really depends on who you talk to, uh, but those are the two main motivations i found community, the relationships you built uh, the emotional emotional connections you make with people um, but also that there's also that side where you sometimes feel a little bit pressured, right? Cause you're part of a community that you care about. You care about the people around you. Um, so, yeah.
0: Talk to me more about the social pressure. So is that that it improves people's lives because they feel like it's the standard within their community to be, you know, running and training and eating well and things like that. Is that what that means or something else?
1: Oh, when I say social pressure, sorry, I guess I'll define that. So when I say social pressure, I just mean like, you know, when you feel that pressure um, just from like family and your training partners to keep going, keep fighting or keep training. Um, so let's say you're tired, for example, and you've had like a long training. You had a bunch of hard training sessions, right? And you, you feel like, okay, I need a break. Like, you know yourself, you need a break. But then your friends are like, oh, like your training partners are like, oh, come on, let's, you know, let's train, let's train. And it's not like, it's not like they're telling you, oh, don't listen to your body. but you might feel that pressure, like, okay, I should go to the gym. Like, they're all doing it. I should do it too. Um, oh, they're all fighting. Let me keep fighting. Um, you know, what if I if I don't keep up my fight so I don't keep fighting, maybe I'll lose that connection. Um, so that type of pressure. It doesn't have to be a direct type of pressure, I don't think, that my participants were talking about. They, they kind of meant it more, maybe a pressure they put on themselves um, after training for a long time.
0: And so that answers the question of why people – keep training how do you link that concept then to how people find it has such a profound effect on their lives and their health and things like that
1: yeah so there's a there's so many different things so um, one was uh, this idea of like transformation through the body so just bodily improvements so whether it's uh, feeling healthier so like for me for example I wanted to train and quit smoking cigarettes. Um, so for other people, it was maybe just building more stamina. Uh, so they really felt like just that um, that type of, I guess, challenge to change their mindset. They felt there was a lot between the body as well as the mind. So like, yeah, yes, getting stronger and all that stuff, but also the mental side of things. They some of my participants were talking about just uh, how it would give them that, I guess, the skill to like push past certain things that they could apply then in other aspects of their life. Uh, so that was one of the other uh, motivations.
0: Have you this experienced was more any for, of it yourself? Oh, sorry,
1: Garth. I was going to say, so that's more for, because I kind of like in the research distinguished the two. So it was like mm-hmm. why people initially started and then why people continue after, mm-hmm. you know, maybe dealing with some injuries and all that. So uh, when people initially started, it was for... Uh, that physical and also mental kind of um, I guess you could say evolution they felt. Um, but what kept them going for a lot for some of them were was getting that experience after a while uh, just like because they love the sport.
0: Yeah, this I, it's so hard to do qualitative research like that when everyone's going to have such a different spin on it. so did you yeah did you publish that work as part of the masters?
1: No, I didn't publish it. I was working on doing that, but then I went to my PhD and then I started like working on that. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm still navigating the PhD. It's uh, it's a long road. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what have you found so far? I know you're just sort of dipping your toes into it, but thinking about some of the experiences of people of colour in combat sports, have you started looking into that and what have you found?
1: Yeah, so that it's not something I really investigated, but something that slightly came up in my masters, and that's what uh kind of why I'm building on my masters and focusing on that topic. So during my masters, I was it came up first in the interviews. So I was, as I was talking to different people, um, a lot of different fighters, I noticed whenever so I asked questions on social class, gender, um, race, community. I asked a bunch of different questions and a lot of the questions they engaged with. But when I asked how does race come into play, like as a motivation, do you think that, and like not almost most of my, most of the participants didn't really engage with the question. Mm -hmm. They were just like, oh yeah, I don't know. And it kind of struck me because I am an immigrant and a mixed race. So for me, I felt like it does matter in a lot of contexts. And so it was, it kind of just stood out to me maybe just because of my background. Mm. So anyway, I kind of just like brushed it off, kept doing my research and all that. And then I found a pattern towards the end where a lot of uh, the participants that were white really emphasized this like family bond. But the people of color that I talked to, the the fighters of color that I talked to didn't really emphasize this family bond as a motivation for them. It was more like I have a goal here. I want to go, you know, fight or I I have this goal. And it, it wasn't very community oriented. And then I saw, I saw, I kind of sat back and I was like, Hmm, why is that? Why do they feel, do they feel like a disconnection? And then I kind of thought about myself. I'm like, how do I feel as a person of color, you know? And I was like, well, I am exactly like how they say it. Like I used to, I'm, I was known as the person that came to the gym, did what I had to do. And and then, and then I left, I never really interacted with the people that much. But then I know I do that in a lot of contexts, not just combat sports. So it kind of struck me like, okay, maybe I should just investigate this more closely. So so that's what I'm basically going to do. But, yeah, I haven't done the research past that, um, except trying to figure out, like, a, a good research question. So I'm mm-hmm. trying to figure out, like, what's already happening in the sport with relation to race. And uh, so, yeah.
0: that's re- I'm really interested to see what your research finds because I know – that other researchers have looked at martial arts as a construct to break down gender, you know, like for example, Mm. women who would normally feel like they were, you know, overpowered by men have the position of power oftentimes in gyms where they are the coaches or the black belts Mm -hmm. or whichever martial art it might be. And how that creates almost like an example in people's lives where they get to see that women could be in a higher power position and, I guess the trouble is then translating it outside, but it's also seeing situations where men really respect women, where men really look after their female training partners. There's all these really great examples of that gender being broken down as a barrier, but it seems, I mean, it would be a big implication to draw from your inkling without doing the research, but it seems fascinating to me that the same thing doesn't happen for people of color and I of course can't really comment because I'm white and but I've, I've just never noticed it and now as you're saying that I'm thinking over in my head like if I I feel like my gym's quite inclusive if I think about the prominent people in the community that a lot of them are from overseas are of color you know we've got some some ties I've got a Thai trainer and then in jiu-jitsu we've got a Brazilian trainer and of course he has darker skin but yeah. Um, I'm I wonder too if that's a product of the city that I live in in Australia is just so multicultural um mm. whereas maybe it's different in the states and I know less about that but yeah what what else have you seen what else has been your experience
1: so like me right now I'm in I'm in Canada that's where mm-hmm. I live so I when I did this research, it was in uh, it was basically Ontario and Quebec and I was living mm-hmm. in Montreal. So most of my participants were well, most of the participants were uh, in Montreal. And that's a very also multicultural uh, city. It's very diverse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's why also it was interesting because there's a lot of in that in like. I basically interviewed a bunch of people like I knew, you know, like I knew I had a good relationship with them, most of them. So, um, so that was another interesting factor, like doing research with people, you know, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that was interesting too. Like in the, like in the gym I went to, like, there were people from different backgrounds too. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what, like, I I don't want to, you know, imply things. Um So that's why it would be very interesting to see because I'm just like reflecting on my own experience and that's going to be part of my research Uh, because the way I see the world is obviously going to influence how I do my research going in general. So Mm -hmm. what I see, that's why I focus on this topic, (laughs) I guess. But looking at my own experience, I I do feel, I guess, like that, you know, like I told you in the beginning when I moved to Canada as an immigrant, I had this culture shock, I felt lonely. Um, So I wonder if that, kind of in some way maybe keeps it going on some level uh, when you're in a new culture or a specific type of culture. So, so yeah, it would be interesting <laughs> to see what happens.
0: Yeah. Why do you think that is? Do you think it is that the culture just seems so different that it's it's hard to, like, empathise and relate to the way people are talking and, um, the, you know, the distances they hold and all these sort of sub-things that are related to culture Or do you think it is that there's not as much of a welcome that is coming? Do you think it's coming from within the people, within people of color, or do you think it's coming from the people that they're training with? And if it's like that, then how can white people be better training partners?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question, and um, so yeah, I would. So I guess with relation to the research, I would have to see what comes out, but Mm -hmm. from my experience. yeah I guess it's there's probably a lot of things, but just me reflecting on it, I feel like you know I'm coming into a culture and you know in in Canada it is you know like a, a, it is they it's considered a multicultural um you know country and culture, mm-hmm. but at the same time, my first experience coming into high school here was super shocking and it seemed very segregated. I walked into the school this is just my high school, and mm-hmm. I see all the white people hanging out with together. I see all the Iranian people hanging out together and like literally it was just super, just, it seemed very separated. And I didn't know where I fit because I'm mixed. Uh, so I was like, I guess I have to go with people that I look like, like who do I look like? I guess I look more like that group. I guess I'll go hang out with them. Um, so I find that also comes into play in, some, in a lot of gyms too, where I find like, it's kind of these different groups, and for me, I know this from what I remember anyway um, I feel like it's it still plays it still happens in gyms as well and then if you see who's usually um coaches a lot of times in my experience it's white people so if you know if there's a culture that if there's white people that are at the top and then they are controlling kind of the culture, well then it's going to be probably more. A white culture right uh that trickles down and that other groups have to kind of maybe assimilate as opposed to them feeling included they have to change the way they do things Mm -hmm. and after a while for me anyway so this i don't want to imply for other groups this is my experience Mm -hmm. right so um that's how i felt i felt like i kind of had to maybe adjust the way i do things as opposed to um i guess yeah being included in some way like i had yeah so that's basically how i felt so instead of trying really hard to be included and sometimes I would distance myself and just, you know, do other things because at some point, it's a lot of adjustments that I had to do. And I also talked about this with my wife too. She's an athletic therapist and she's white. So we had a lot of conversations (laughs) about this. And this is one that came up, this idea of like, I. she feels sometimes like I, in certain conversations, don't try hard enough maybe uh, to like kind of talk or whatever but I, then I said I'm like I think for me I just have to always adjust and I always have to make the effort in certain interactions and then after a while I just don't have the energy to do that and I think that is because um yeah it's like it's a different type of interaction that I have to kind of deal with it's uh yeah I'm sorry if I'm being a little bit vague here but yeah
0: would, would you have an example I don't want to put you on the spot but do you have an example of like an, an adjustment you might have made in the past
1: um, an adjustment during a like conversation or whatever.
0: Yeah, or anything, any kind of a behavioral adjustment.
1: Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I so the adjustment is usually just me trying to engage more in the conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: so whatever it is, I I need to try to engage more. And I think part of the distance I feel is because um, lots of times maybe the topics being talked about is not something that I'm interested in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. But sometimes it's just the, I guess the, sometimes it's just the feeling you have, like the vibe you get. You, do you know what I mean? When you have this, you some people you meet, you just have a connection you're able to talk to. You can relate easily. <laughs> some people you need to make a little bit more of an effort. So for me, I feel I always have to make, not always, a lot of times anyway, I have to make more of an effort. So uh, it adds up. And so, so yeah, it might be like, you know, on, in both, it also is probably also part of of me as well. Like I need to figure out how to maybe open up, but it's not as easy maybe being in a new surrounding. So, yeah.
0: How has that insight impacted the way that you conduct yourself as a Muay Thai coach?
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I think I'm just more sensitive to a lot of the different roles people play, whether you're a woman or if you're, person of color uh or if or if you're a man like just i just take a lot of things more into account so i just try to be more sensitive to certain well to to every to a lot of i don't know i just taken a lot of factors i try my best to do that to accommodate as many people as i can because uh, i don't want to be a coach that that just leaves out even if it's one person in the gym that comes in um I don't want to leave out anyone. So I want to make sure everyone feels like they're included. Um, so that's how I felt after doing my, my master's research, especially like impacted me. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Or if you want me to go deeper, you can tell me.
0: Yeah, um, we can go deeper but, into that, I think. Keep going.
1: Yeah. Um, I I guess every time, every day is like a, a new challenge. I get into the gym. I make sure I look around see who's there and I just try to I just I guess I try to if I if I see I don't know are you asked so is it do you mean like how it affects me when I interact I guess with people of color then in the gym or just in general like the way I coach
0: let's talk about both let's talk about just in general first so what are some of the things that you notice people like how is an example of how someone could be excluded, and then how would you look to include them into the community? Mm,
1: yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I guess how would they be excluded? I guess it's it's not more about being ex- excluded more than me as a coach making sure I, the way I approach certain people, I approach them each of them mm-hmm. differently. So I would I would approach, yeah, just. I don't know how to explain how I approach people differently, but I would, I would, uh, yeah, I guess I'll just, the tone of my voice, for example, is one example. The way I, I talk to certain people will be a little bit different. Not that I'll be more of like, you know, can I swear on the, podcast, on the podcast? Yes, yes,
0: yes, yes. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, it's not like I'm like an asshole to some people and not an asshole to other people or whatever. But for certain people, I, I'll just like change my tone, right? Depending on, on their tone. Uh, for example, I'll just try to meet them where they're at. Or for example, if I'm talking too fast with certain people because they talk fast, I'm not going to, if I'm a person that talks fast in general, I'm not going to go somewhere and just talk to them like, yeah, you understand me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to slow it down, you know, ask them where they're at. I know some people feel like they're in a new environment too. So some people that are more casual, people come to the gym or they seem more comfortable. I'll talk to them like whatever, joke around. But if I see someone coming in and just seem like, okay, this is my first time here or whatever, I'll I'll change the way, you know, I'll be more welcoming as opposed to like joking around with them right off the bat. Cause I don't know this person. Maybe they're going to be like, "Oh, I don't know you don't joke around with me. Cause I know me. I don't like that. I don't like someone I just meet to come around and then start joking around with me a lot and uh, all that stuff. But some people do like that. But I guess my own experience as an immigrant coming to a new country um, for me, I don't like when some people interact with me as if I knew them for 10 years. Um, so I keep that in mind, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, basically, it's just it's more of it's it's a circumstance by circumstance, you know, like in each interaction, I kind of sense where people are at and I try my best uh, to listen and try my best to accommodate those issues they might have or like some if they have any troubles, you know, in the class. Um, so, and I'll motivate them also in different ways. Some people you need to maybe push them harder, like go harder, you know, go faster. And they like that. Some people you shouldn't be doing that too. So, I take that into account as well for different people, as opposed to just having this, like, this is the culture of the gym and this is how it's going to go. It's like I've taken an individual approach as well in a way. So yes. I guess, yeah. Sorry if I went like whoo, like a bunch of loops to get, no, to the get point. No, I get it. Yeah. I get it.
0: I think you use a lot of good examples to explain just that concept of meeting people where they're at, I think is quite different to someone who has decided like the way that I coach is amazing or the way that I am is amazing and I'm going to be blanket like that. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but from an inclusivity point of view, I can definitely see and you can see in some gyms how the perception for someone might be or everybody responds really well to this like, really authoritative or really casual or whatever the type of demeanour is of the coach, everyone responds well to that. I don't feel like I respond well to that, but I'm going to pretend to on the outside, but on the inside, I'm going to feel inauthentic and therefore feel uncomfortable and not want to engage in the community and just come in and train and leave because you feel, like you said, like there's a disconnect. So I think for all coaches to be thinking a little bit more like that is useful to think, you know, how can I even just change my pitch or change my speed or my coaching yeah, style, exactly. you know? Does this person need demonstration? Do they need words? Do they need, you know, to see it on a person, see it on the bag or or whatever it might be? But those little things that you can do, I'm sure, like you've said from your experience, would have made a big difference when you're, you know, initially coming through and noticing yeah. that you weren't connecting to the community.
1: Yeah, no, that's... Uh... Yeah, you you kind of summed it up very well. Um, yeah, I think it's it's like that nuance, you know, like as you go in as a coach to be attentive to like everyone and understanding their different needs and not putting kind of like a blanket and being like, okay, this is what's happening, uh, which is not always easy. Uh, but I think it's as a coach, it's like you know, I don't know, because for me, I I know I would at first bounce around different gyms and then uh, until I felt like I had a good connection with the coach that understood maybe where I was, you know, where I'm at, you know, which means sometimes push me, but sometimes don't let me just do my thing. Uh, and some places I've been, it's just, it's like one way or the other, as opposed to like, okay, today we're doing this tomorrow. We're doing this with you, John. Cause you know, uh, so that's important. Like you said, like just take me it. Uh, um Yeah. They have like a nuanced perspective on how to deal with people, basically.
0: Is it, this, is it the same thing when we talk about that example, then how do you make sure that you're meeting people where they're at when it comes to meeting people of color where they're at? Are there any additional needs?
1: Uh, so specifically for people of color? Mm-hmm. I don't know I guess it depends on the person mm. um, so I can't say for like everyone again I could only unless I do until I do the research until I do the research I can only talk for myself mm. um, so something so you said something particular right mm-hmm. for for that group yeah um, yeah I don't know I'm just reflecting on what would what did i need as as a fight as a as someone training and then someone has a you know that started to fight as well mm-hmm. coming into a gym I guess I just needed that um that's that space sometime and also that the understanding that that I'm a person that sometimes is not gonna feel too good coming to the gym or that you know I'm having a bad day or Maybe I have other struggles as well, you know, coming to the gym. So someone just that understands that I might have other stuff on my plate, other shit on my plate too, um, as opposed to like, this is it, you know, this is all uh, you're focusing on just fighting. So I feel like for me, I stuck with my coaches uh, in Montreal because they, they seem to take into account the other roles I played and the other things I had to deal with. Um, So so I don't know if that, so I guess, you know, even whether you're a person of color or you're some, if you're a group that's, you know, considered a minority in any way, um, I think it's important in some way to acknowledge the role that they have, or the, maybe the, the struggles they have to go through, um, depending on what group they're part of. Um, but I don't want to also identify, like, you know, kind of, not identify, but kind of, You know, make it all about the struggles for, you know, different groups like people of color, like me, for example, like everyone has their struggles, right? Um, But yeah, just being attentive to the different roles people play, I would say, like people of color. But specifically, I can't, I can't, like, again, uh, talk in general terms. For me, that was what it was.
0: Yeah, I think what it really boils down to, to me, sounds like just having a bit more empathy for everybody, right, but you can especially, I think you can find empathy, (laughs) you can find it a little bit more easily if you consider the day-to-day struggles that somebody of colour or who's just immigrating or who, you know, is gay and is like bullied or whatever these, the issues that come with being a minority might be, they tend to be the kind of thing that weigh on you, consistently throughout the day that's what it seems like to me of course I don't really know yeah. so I can't speak again but if you then take that person and they come into the gym and they had a bad day and say for example you were like oh come like hang out with us we're chatting and you were having a bad day and so you were just like I just really need space right now and you speak your boundaries I think the damaging thing then comes if the next day or the next session or whatever when they're feeling better and they want to engage in the community that you then hold them having boundaries against them. So you say like, oh, you didn't want to hang out with us yesterday, mm. so obviously you don't like us. Now we're, you know, we tried type thing. Yeah,
1: I see. Like, <laughs> well, yeah.
0: you know, you could just let it go every day, be a new day and be really open to everyone in the gym because on some days they might need the community and some days they might need space and having empathy for the fact that we need both at different times I think is really important, especially in 2021.
1: Yeah, I guess that's, that's it. Like, I think maybe my coaches, as they were, you know, being more attentive to the different issues I was dealing with, maybe they didn't have in their mind, oh yeah, he's dealing with, you know, maybe what it feels like to be a person of color every time and uh, whatever struggles he has to deal with internally. But I guess just uh, maybe giving me that, um, that specific type of, I guess, focus, diff- like a different type of focus every day and approaching me a different way every day. Um, helped me i guess like well motivated me more because maybe they didn't do it directly but indirectly they gave me that uh that space but also that uh, empathy to that motivated me um so yeah that's true i guess like you know like you said it, it is like you know being a person of color for me anyway my experience when i was younger was a little bit more intense uh as opposed to in Canada, it's a little bit more subtle, <laughs> and it's a little bit less intense. When I was growing up, it was uh, more direct and more explicit racism. <laughs> um, but over, but now it's more just, uh, I guess, maybe me dealing with those experiences as a person of color uh, in a new environment, uh, day in and day out, and me just noticing things, um, and and having to kind of, I guess, wrap my head around it. And part of me figuring that out is me doing the research on other mm. people's experiences. Um, but it's also part of, um, kind of this, yeah, just this, uh, I guess for me, my experience was more like microaggressions and, uh, kind of neglect. So that's kind of my experience as a person of color as I go about the world. So all those little things, whether it's microaggressions or, uh, or that disconnect I feel on a daily basis. Uh, it adds on to I guess like you said, you know, coming to the gym and dealing with that day in and day out. So yeah, I would I would definitely say that feeling of disconnect and just microaggressions maybe throughout the day in different maybe not throughout the day every day, but throughout my my week, for example, or whatever. That I find up maybe due to uh yeah, my background, but maybe not.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, and you can totally imagine well I can imagine how it, microaggressions and this like you don't belong here energy type of thing coming through gyms totally opposes your ability to have those two things that you found were the reason why people would want to stay in martial arts the community and the social pressure you're not going to feel connected to a community who's throwing microaggressions at you and (laughs) you're going to respond in a negative way to the social pressure like it's it's not going to feel the same like the group want me to do this but in a good way it's going to be like the group are making me do this but almost I can imagine it would feel like in a bad way that you know dealing with that would really inhibit your ability to build those two things which is why people stay which you know might be why a lot of people end up not staying too if we think about the other end of the the thing which I'm not sure if your research looked at but like why do people quit why do people quit yeah I mean that would be very interesting too concussions and stuff seems like a a rational person's reason to be like yeah maybe this is kind of dangerous and I should stop doing it but um yeah I've I've been concussed I've had fights and you know I've had black eyes and it looks terrible and at no point at no point are you like this is probably a sign that I'm doing the wrong thing you're just like yeah. It's, it's, it's worth it for that community. And I want to go back in the gym and you know, when you go back to the gym, everyone's going to be like, oh, bad luck, but when are you going to fight again?
1: Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> like what's up next? What's the next thing? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, but that's exactly it. what you said. Um, it's hard to feel connected to a community if you, uh, yeah, not maybe specifically microaggressions. That's one example for me, mm-hmm. for my experience, but, um, but yeah, definitely. So so it's interesting to see what will come out, you know, um, like, for for example, like I was doing a presentation, I'm kind of proposing what I plan to research at school and um, looking just at, for example, like big organizations, like, for example, the UFC and mm-hmm. uh, Conor McGregor, like he's seen use it. Well, he has used some big, like slurs and certain, uh, I guess, what would you call it? Just indirect ways, you know, referring to someone's skin color, their heritage, um, such as when he was fighting, when he fought uh, Nate Diaz as well as uh, Jose Aldo. Um, so it's interesting to see like how certain comments are maybe brushed off as eh, it's you know it's uh, no it's nothing uh, when maybe when you're reading it there's nothing specific explicit about it, but there, if you look at the history of certain things. Uh, it's pretty intense. Um, I'll just give you one quote if you would want to hear it.
0: I love it. Yes, please.
1: Awesome. Um, just pull it up real fast. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, so one of Conor McGregor's quotes to uh, to Jose Aldo at a press conference. So it says, I quote, if this was a different time, I would invade his favela on horseback and kill anyone who is not fit to work. So we could see, like, this kind of colonial mindset, you know, it's like, oh, like, we're better. And if we were in a different time, you know, you'd have a totally different position. Uh, you'd be in a different position. But because we're in a new time, you know, like as if we're like in a post-racial type world, um, you know, so we can't do that. Um, so it has some type of connotations, right? Like other people hear it. And, uh, you know, I wonder what they think, you know, and the people that are maybe slightly, maybe they are trying to hold back in a way like they encourage now, maybe in a way, spectators to maybe talk like that as well if they look up to Conor McGregor. So I wonder what that does to like other fans, you know, perceptions um, of like in the sport too. So it's interesting to see like how that trickles down. <laughs> so, yeah
0: yeah for sure you can see how like fans and stuff would want to emulate their their role models in the sport and you know I guess we're we're lucky that we've got some quite like modest soft spoken people athletes in the sport. I'm like just kind of thinking through too to think if there are any like i I'm kind of thinking of the people of color in the UFC and they're all very respectful. If you think even like Kamaru Usman yeah. started trying to shit talk and he's just really, <laughs> he's just really bad at it. He can't even do it. They're almost forcing. It seems like they're almost forcing him to do it because that's wanted of the sport, but they're, yeah. you know, it doesn't seem like he's really doing very much of that. So it, yeah, it's very interesting to think about what the impact of different people saying different things would have, in a community setting, you know, how, how far it trickles down all the way into gyms and how that affects people's experiences. So I'll be very interested to see how your research pans out. What probably in how long does a PhD go for over there? Oh,
1: it's uh, well, it's my program is uh, around at this at minimum five years. So yeah. I'm in my second year right now.
0: <laughs> so I got three years to go. So 2024, we'll have you back on. <laughs> we'll have you back on to reveal the results of your. Uh, thesis. Thesis. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. We'll see what happens with uh, with COVID too. Maybe they'll be like, yeah. it's Interesting to see what happens in twenty twenty four with relation to training and stuff. Are you all tra- are able to train now, like in Australia?
0: Yeah. So in um, Melbourne, yes. we are. We're allowed to train. um Full contact Damn. training. Yeah, but uh, I, I broke my collarbone six weeks ago, Ooh. so I haven't been, been training. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, we're super lucky. We we did have very strict lockdowns in the beginning, and, you know, that was very tough, but now it seems to be like we're getting the benefit of it, which is really good. But definitely I think even just speaking to a lot of my friends and trying to keep together like an online version of the community that we had, was really just not the same you know when you're not like seeing everybody and everyone gets so tired of talking on messenger and on zoom yeah you know you do your best but I think people's mental health really suffered by not having the martial arts community to to lean on and for support and joy and all these other things that we get from coming to training with other people
1: yeah no definitely even uh even me, like I took a break when I moved and I, cause I moved for, for school for my research. And then also, uh, so I switched gyms, but at first I, yeah, I was trying to, I switched Well, I left the gym, moved to a new province and then try to find like a gym that fit well for me. Um, and, and then, yeah, like I so I took a break for a while, but I was really starting to miss, you know, more like training again with other people. Uh, cause I got a bag in the house. I was hitting the bag and all that. I really miss just like sharing the passion, you know, with other people when you get someone next to you doing the same thing that's as interested in what you're doing. It's, uh, it's a different type of motivation. And I, I kind of forgot that, you know, like, yes, for sure, like, you know, talking to people and, you know, going to see your training partners is is fun. But I I, I kind of, I took for granted basically that just having people around you doing the same thing, you know, even if you're not talking to them. But you're just training, you know, maybe someone else is sitting in the bag next to you while you're doing your own thing just like having people there doing the same thing you're doing that like doing, like doing it uh, for me, it motivated me. So I kind of took that for granted until I left. And then I realized I was like, wow, like not just talking to people and not just like having that relationship with other fighters, but um but also just having people around you, you know, doing the same thing and feeling that type of community without really always talking, but just understanding like, Oh, we're all here doing the same thing kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it's like you're all in the trenches together kind of a feeling.
1: Yeah, exactly. I kind of have the same feeling when I'm, like, working on my paper, you know, and I'm at a cafe, and then there's other people. I see, like, other students working on a paper. Uh, And then I move now. I live in the country. So I don't really go to cafes anymore. So now I'm like, oh, I miss that. And what I miss is not going to a cafe, but just having other students there, just, like, kind of doing the same thing, you know. We're all doing the same kind of struggle, I guess. (laughs) So yeah.
0: Yeah, the human brain is amazing really, isn't it? Like if somebody else is doing something, it's like we we kind of want to do it more or we want to do it harder or it just it really motivates us whereas if we're doing it we think we're doing it by ourselves then you know it's it's easier to just be like, ah, oh, you know, I I kind of don't want to do it anymore." Of course, you can always motivate yourself and push through and be disciplined, but if you think about like the easiest way to do something is to get someone to do it with you. Not because they're helping you, just because of the motivation.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was, uh, I think one of my coaches said this. He's like, yeah, like when you train with people, you kind of have like a reference to, because sometimes you could like, your mind can just be like, oh no, you've done enough, man. That's a lot. <laughs> but then when you look next to you and that other person's like going, you know, 10 times faster, you're like, wait, maybe I could go. You know, it's kind of like that, that whole thing where people are like, oh, that runner, you know, beat the speed limit, you know, beat that record, but then whatever, after a certain amount of time a bunch of people beat their records just they thought it was impossible. Then when someone does it, it's like, oh okay, I could mm-hmm. do it and then they get that motivation and they kind of you kind of rise to the occasion away. So yeah.
0: Yeah. Is is that called social proof? I could be wrong.
1: I, I don't I don't know. That's interesting. I should look that up that word too.
0: I feel like I'm just like that sounds like a good buzz phrase. I'll just check that out. <laughs>
1: So yeah. it,
0: sounds, it sounds logical something it's something along those lines yeah on, john is there anything else you want to share on the topic of mental health and martial arts and th- that connection
1: mental health and martial arts yeah for, well for me um one thing i guess i it was sort like i said there's so many reasons why i there's a lot of ways, a lot of motivations i i notice that motivate people and for me I mentioned health. Uh, I mentioned, um, I guess, just feeling that loneliness and kind of building that community, Um, but also building some type of community, kind of being part of something, I guess. But then also it was, at one point I was stuck in my head a lot and I was juggling working, but going to school, but moving to a new place. I was doing all these things, but I was stuck in my head. And then I felt a little bit depressed at one point and then I was like why do I feel like this like nothing is necessarily going wrong but I just feel off super off and I didn't know what it was um, and then I I thought back and I was like okay I, I took a break from training because I couldn't afford it basically um, so once I was able to afford it I was like okay I feel like I should just start training I, I remembered how happy I was when I was training so I started training again and I just remembered how much I love doing the movement that just like that embodied motion, certain motions, that specific motion, specifically striking for me. Um, And then also just getting that, that hit, that kind of, that kind of cardio hit and the movement specific type of movements, the striking, the punching, the kicking, but also uh, the cardio aspect of it. uh, Just made my mind more clear, you know, like sometimes I just, And my, I realized I was just overthinking things and I just needed to train. I just needed to like get blood pumping into my head, oxygen into my head Mm -hmm. Um, and doing movements that I felt uh, kind of made me feel, made me feel good. I think there's certain movements people do that make them feel good. Some people like climbing, that feeling like pulling themselves up. I don't like doing (laughs) pull-ups, I do it, but I love punching and kicking. It just makes me happy. And I used to try to find like a bigger reason And there is, like we talked about, talk about community and a bunch of other things, but sometimes it's, it's just like, you just like doing the movement, you know? So, so yeah, I would say, so I would say maybe punching and kicking will help your mental health. (laughs) So yeah.
0: Absolutely. There's something just so satisfying for me. I don't even really like punching that much. If you ask my coach, he'll always say, like, there's no reason to wrap my hands. I don't throw many punches <laughs> in fights. But, man, I love to kick. Like, I love oh, yeah. to kick. <laughs> um, I I love all of the kicks equally, I would say. I love to talk. I love to knee. I love to roundhouse kick. I love to question mark kick. Any of the kicks oh, yeah. <laughs> like, make me so, yeah, just kicking makes me happy.
1: Yeah, and just like that. Time, And I try to find like a, a a bigger reason. Like, why do I like to punch and why do I like to kick? And maybe I'll find something later. But it's just doing those movements. You know, it's crazy. It's just some movements is just like, yes, this feels right. This makes me happy. So yeah, maybe you should just find your movements.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think once you've practiced a movement enough, or and what enough is, is going to be different for different people, right? Some people will pick up martial arts and they'll be able to kick with power straight away, punch with power straight away. They're just that type of athletic person, or maybe it's, you worked at it for 10 years or however long, and it took you that long to gain some sort of a sense of mastery. But I think whenever you do a skill that you're you've developed and you can feel where you've improved in it. You know what it used to feel like, or you know what it could feel like if it felt bad and you feel when it feels good, like when your hips just move in the right way. And so with minimal effort, you elicit like a lot of power or your punch turns over at the right time. And you can feel like that snap in your shoulders. And it's like the sense of, of pride and mastery of saying, Oh yeah, I I can do this, this thing. And I know it looks good when i do it or it feels good when i do it because it's some form of correct of course there's lots of different ways to kick and punch but for yeah. me, it's it's effective it's not correct it's effective
1: yeah yeah no definitely There's certain movements yeah and especially yeah, when you feel like you're getting better and you're like oh i got it and then it clicks in your body and your body just is like yeah this is how you should do it <laughs> yeah uh, yeah definitely and and it's, it's funny because I think maybe for some people that have been doing it for a long time, like me, uh, because I was actually not sure if I should like keep fighting, but now I think I will when competition is is allowed because of COVID right now, we're not allowed to compete. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, But at first I was like, I don't know if I will compete because I had a bunch of injuries and I didn't know if I had like that, the energy to keep going. Um, So I also kind of cut down my training a little bit, but again, I started feeling off. This was like, not too long ago, like a year ago. Same feeling I had like during my undergrad. (laughs) Um and then I recognized that feeling and then I was like, okay, let me start training more. And I kept hitting my bag a little bit more. And then I was like, that's it. I just missed doing the movements. And in my head it's like if I'm not fighting, I feel like I'm kind of pulled back. I think I had so so much so much emotion in the sport because I've been doing it for so long. Um for me anyway, I feel like I've been doing it for so long that I feel like if I'm not fighting, I feel like, oh, like I don't know if I should do it or something. I realized I'm like, no, there's a middle ground. You can still keep training. You don't have to fight. Uh, and uh, as a fight, I feel like I forgot that. So I just started hitting the bag and just like training because I liked it and nothing more. I didn't ask anything else. And and then I slowly started building that motivation and that and just that that hunger again. So it's so it's interesting, you know. Just also finding like like anyone could train. You don't have to fight. You know, you can train like and that's the thing I think for me anyway I think it applies to some other people that have been doing it for a while it's like all or nothing because that was definitely me and it's hard for me to to sometimes remind myself that you started this not because you wanted to fight you just liked it
0: <laughs> yeah it doesn't have to be that black or white thinking yeah how can people connect with you? I know you've put out quite a bit of content on your Instagram with videos people can do if they're in isolation and they have a bag oh, yeah. or they have air that they want to hit. How can people connect with you, John?
1: Uh, so, yeah, on, uh, on Instagram would be the best uh, or YouTube. So YouTube, if they just want to get free, there's a bunch of free stuff I have there. So for both Instagram and YouTube, it's smart striking. On Instagram, it's smart and then underscore striking. Um, there's not like extra letters or anything. It's yeah, how you would spell it. <laughs> so yeah,
0: awesome. All right, we'll put the links to those in the description so that people can find you if they want to connect with you. And like I said, we'll have to get you back in four years or however long it takes for you to find out more information through your PhD.
1: <laughs> Thanks a lot, and I really appreciate what you're doing. It's so awesome. The first time I I listened to the podcast, I was like, wow, this is. It was me driving to like either school sometimes or to the gym. And I have a good like 45-minute commute because I live in the country. Mm-hmm. So I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and I listened to yours and I was like, wow, this is so good, it's so cool. And I kept listening and then like it was done. There was no more episodes. And then I was like, oh, you know, I'm waiting for your next episode and your next episode. So yeah, thank you for doing this. It's uh I feel like it's, it's important for, definitely for the martial arts community and you have like a different perspective, not a different perspective, but you notice things that, should be talked about so i appreciate that you're doing that
0: thank you so much i appreciate you so much john
1: <laughs> awesome well i i hope you have a good morning i'm gonna say good night but for me so <laughs> yeah i hope yeah. you
0: have a good evening or you've already had dinner yeah i'm
1: gonna have dinner right you're now you're gonna have yeah. dinner
0: now go have dinner don't let <laughs> me keep you from your wife
1: <laughs> <laughs> have a i guess yeah i'll
0: good let afternoon. you shut it
1: down <laughs> yeah
0: bye everyone bye john
1: Take care.